This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, this one's going to be a treat. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. I sprung it on him just yesterday. Our guest today on the Eric Francis Show. We've got two guests. It's Nostalgia Day here at the station. Our My first guest who's going to be in studio with me for the first half hour is Grant Pollock. Legend. Media legend. Icon in this city. <laughs> we haven't heard much from him for several years because he's retired. Uh, but I wanted to bring him back in to talk about so many different things, including the way it was, the way it is now, how he consumes sports. So many questions. And then he's going to help me. He's going to stay with me for the second half hour because we got Tim Hunter, former Calgary Flame. Uh, ah, is he the heavyweight champion of all time? I don't know. We could debate that. But uh, first, just want to introduce Grant Pollock, longtime media mogul here in this city. Mogul. <laughs> yeah, I'll throw all these. Icon mogul. We'll throw it at you, bro. Uh, welcome. Thanks, man. Good to see you. Eric, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for getting me out of the house. <laughs> so you've been retired now. How many years? It's come. It'll be nine in May. You are kidding me. Twenty fourteen. It was nine years ago. We had that party at Spalumbo's to yes. say goodbye to you. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, nine nine years. Okay. So for our younger listeners who may not have seen your show, especially your show in its glory days, can you describe? Because I think it's better to come from you. How would you describe sports at 11, later called sports at 1130, here in this city? Because it was, well, it was iconic. E- explaining it is tough. Because if I explain it to somebody, if I have, if somebody stops me in the street, they got to be over 35 or 40 <laughs> yeah. to remember it. Mm-hmm. And they love to hear about it. But if I have to explain it to younger people, they don't believe me. <laughs> they look at me and it, their eyes... Because of what we did and how we did sports. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, in 1988, that's when Sports 11 went on the air. Vancouver had a midweek half-hour sports show on a local station. Toronto did, too, on Global. That's it. So we came up with the idea of doing it here, 11 o'clock, seven days a week. Highlight-driven, but unlike a lot of those other shows, we had live guests on, too. That was unheard of. When it was a slow, so if it was a Flames night or a Stampeder game, we did comprehensive post-game show coverage, we did the sports. When there wasn't anything big, we just did crazy stuff. No rules. No rules. It was like somebody at 2 and 7, which was the name of the station before Global, gave us a credit card and said, go have fun. (laughs) Here's your credit card, go. (laughs) We did... We thought we would get a producer. They said, no, we're going to hire another on-air guy, which means we had nobody corralling us. We were on our own. So we just did the most outlandish things. And I will say, if you remember of a Dave Letterman show, we were highly influenced by that, where you take cameras outside the studio, you do different kinds of things. And uh, as the years went on, we got crazier and crazier when it was a slow night. So that's the simple way of explaining it. When I tell them about different shows we did, hot tub shows, doing a show from a hot tub without implying we were in a hot tub, like I was in a shirt and tie. So it was a crazy show, highlight driven. Local sports was big too, besides, well, Flames and Stamps, of course. So it was you, Ron Manns, Mike Lonsbro, Mike Toth. Yes. And, and, and for many, the bulk of those years, people would wait up till 11 o'clock because. A, that was one of the only places to get the highlights, which now, of course, everyone can get on a push of a button at any time. They don't need people interrupting the highlights. But it was it was the show. Like, I, who cares what the ratings were? Everyone just knew in the sporting community. And I remember when I first moved here and I got invited to go on the show, that was like, I made it. I've made it. <laughs> I, I, I've been on Sports at 11. I can't believe they gave me the opportunity. Yeah. And just tell me about some of the craziest things you did. Because one that comes to mind with me the kickers on the Stampeders, oh, Tony yeah. Martino and Mark McLaughlin. And they were fun, great guys. And I'll never forget one day, I think you guys did a story. One probably of you Lons, guys. Probably bro. Probably Mike. Mike, Mike was tight with those guys. Yeah. And he took them because during practice, the kickers really did nothing. So he just did a story about what they do while the flames, while the Stampeders are practicing. Right. They went to a movie theater. Yeah, yeah. And he had video of them in yeah. the movie theater throwing popcorn at each other. And just... And then he went to their houses. Yes. Talk about that because okay. the relationship you guys built with the local media people was out of this world. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
First of all, I will say um, it was successful not just because we were good or weren't we weren't that good or whatever. TSN had just started four years earlier, but TSN came on at nine o'clock and midnight. Sportsnet hadn't arrived yet. Yeah. So therefore, eleven o'clock was right in the wheelhouse where gangs were ending. Nobody else was doing it. So you're right. Um, you couldn't get on your phone seeing what the score was. You had to wait till eleven o'clock to see all the highlights in that. And mm-hmm. you might see uh, a, a Doug Gilmore, uh, a star from the team, on that night. So it was uh, the only show in town, really. Yeah. That 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 had comprehensive. Other stations were doing local sports during the newscast. So. Some of the crazy stories, and I say this, Eric, that people don't believe me, but the hot tub show, the show opens, and I'll do this really quickly. The show opens me on set by myself. Where's Lonsbro? He's not supposed to be here. Typical Mike. Can't depend on him. All of a sudden, you're in the background. Hey, Paula, come here. And I'm saying, what's that? So now the, here's the David Letterman style. The camera follows me out through the studio down in the parking lot, and there's Lonsbro. With a, with a TV studio all set up outside, cameras, lights, all that, sitting in a hot tub, naked from the waist up. <laughs> he says, come on, let's do the show here. I said, Mike, I got a shirt and tie. He says, come on in. So I hopped into the hot tub with my shirt and tie, but not, and then the rest of the show was not, I did, we didn't like poke fun at what we're doing. Like, why wouldn't we do this show? Yeah, just normal. Life? Yeah, we had live guests. Uh, Sizakovic was a live Stampeder guest. We did, we did, um, we did all the uh, uh, highlights driven, and at the end of the show, a couple of synchronized swimmers came on and did a routine in the hot oh, tub to end the show. Um, so that, so that was one big one. We did a toga night one. Yeah, where all Lonsbro and I. Lonsbro produced that one, and to this day, I'm still PO'd at him. It was the worst produced show. It was embarrassingly bad, but it was crazy. We did a, a disco night when Toth came back from. <laughs> From being away for a couple of years to our station, we did a Batman and Robin. I remember that. Rob uh, Lonsboro and I were Batman and Robin. Where is he? We got to find Toth. He's supposed to be here. And we searched all the places. Now, Mike, Mike didn't drink. He wouldn't go to any places of ill repute. We went to strip bars and bars all over the city. Bat- <laughs> Batman and Robin looking for Mike Toth. Amazing. And this was all part of it. When the, um, when the uh, Rolling Stones in 1994 were huge playing up in Edmonton, I went to the concert with a couple of guys. We came back. The next night, we did a whole Rolling Stones sports show. How we did that, I don't know. But one of our, um, one of our news reporters dressed up as Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. He was really good at doing it. And we pretended that they were coming in visiting our show. And how we pulled that off, I don't know, but uh, it was just shows like that. Um, those are some that come to mind. Amazing. Live studio audience shows. We had Doug Gilmore, Rick Wamsley on, on our uh, studio. We had about 100 people in the, in the studio. And they could, I was like um, Bill Donahue running around and, putting the mic in people's faces, asking questions. So that wasn't done back then. So those are some that I remember anyways. And you know, the whole thing, the the two words I used earlier, your show was fun and entertaining. And I'm not saying that the, the highlight reel shows now are not fun and entertaining, but you guys were, well, there were no rules. And so th- these guys are more corporate. And I remember when Mike Toth went to Toronto, it was like a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. Like this was a guy who was funny, had all this personality, and then they put him in front of a microphone at TSN with a tie on, and it just it didn't work. Yeah, and they wanted him. One reason, I was talking to um, somebody at Sportsnet about this recently. Sportsnet went after Toth because they wanted the Alberta market and Brad Fay because they wanted the Vancouver market mm. because those local shows, and they brought that. But they told Toth in Toronto to be Sports at 11 in Toronto, and he tried, and he tried. It was awkward for him, Yeah, and he got... Chastised, yeah, he got reprimanded. He stuff. did, yeah, and it hurt him. It hurt him, yeah. Um, and so, uh, funny when Toth came though, he came. He came from Lethbridge. He came from Lethbridge, and uh, he was very straight and narrow. He had his red tie and his gray suit and a yeah. huge briefcase, and he wouldn't say anything. He was the antithesis, the exact opposite to Lonsbro. Yeah, but then Toth morphed. 
And he became, he had a great sense of humor. He sure did. He was polished on the air. He did it yeah. well. So the blend of the personalities worked somehow. We, yeah. were, we were all different, but we were, it was a pretty good team. It was a great team. Lonsborough's still in Calgary here doing the odd. Uh, he's still dabbling in the, the, the world of streaming and, and stuff like that. But yeah, he's still trying to do it. And Ronnie, Ronnie Manns? Ronnie Manns lives out in the Okanagan. Yeah. He did media out there for a number of years, small radio station, did quite well. He has a bed and breakfast on a lake out there. I forget which I lake it's called. Yes. What's, the, what's the lake to be called? It begins with K. Kalamelka? Kalamelka? Kalamelka or something like that. Oh, yeah. uh, so he seems pretty happy. He seems pretty happy in doing that out there. So he's done well. Toast in Toronto is not in the business anymore. Um, and of course, Lonsborough's still trying to do live streaming stuff here and there. And you, you're, you're, you run a lot, don't you? You're in hell of well, you're great shape. I do a little bit of everything right now. I really do enjoy retirement. I mean, I, I, it came at the right time for me. What do I do? I volunteer with Calgary Bantam football in the fall oh, yeah. out at Shoal Dice to do the PA announcing for oh, the games. Good. And I try and do it like a radio show. I don't just say, you know, Eric Francis, 10-yard uh, gain, first down, Chiefs. I do, I do stories. Eric Francis, you know, he's a pretty good kid. He's graduated. He's going to EP Scarlet next year and uh, all this kind of stuff. That's and, great. And so I try and have they some fun. They love it, I'll bet. They said, bring, some, bring music. We want you to play some music. I said, bring music? What, should I bring my albums? <laughs> well, you got to use some fancy stuff. So I enjoy that. Yeah. And I'm a Special Olympics right now, too, on Saturdays. I, I, I volunteer at Special Olympics every uh, Saturday. Good for you. Playing pickleball. Me, too. That, God. You are, too? Oh, yeah. It's, it's actually, did I say that on the air? I it's, can't believe I just it's fun, that. Though. It's fun. It's, it's fun. It's a total, you got to swallow hard and realize that you're getting older when you're playing pickleball. That's well, the straight truth. But isn't, doesn't Tom Brady and LeBron James, haven't they invested in leagues? There's it's an amazing pro professional story. leagues coming up. Yes. On? Yes. Pickleball. It, the, the big thing, they've got to change the name. They've got to change the name. Yeah. And, and LeBron could do that. So yeah. somebody's going to have to change the name. The and name then, just turns you off right away. Oh, it's so stupid. But anyway, anyway so, so I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm doing that, but I'm doing a lot of traveling. Uh, my wife and I do a lot of adventure traveling. We just came back from the Baja uh, kayaking for a week. And in three weeks today, we leave for Vietnam to go kayaking, hiking, and cycling in North Vietnam. Oh, wow. So I try and do adventure travel two or three times a year. My kids live in Ontario, so we go visit them in Ottawa and Toronto two or three times a year. A year. And a little writing, a little memoir writing, and a little uh, drawing. So uh, good for you. And I enjoy doing nothing. So are you still a fan? Sorry, let me just back up. For those people who are just tuning in, it's the Eric Francis Show. We do this every Monday from noon till 1. It's all about storytelling. That's what I want it to be every week, and we've got some great storytellers in here today. Grant Pollock is with me right now, a legendary Canadian sportscaster uh, right here in Calgary. Everybody who's certainly my age knows him, loves him, and, uh, and then Tim Hunter is going to join us at the bottom of the hour, and Grant's going to help me talk to him because the relationships that you guys could forge back in the 80s are so different from the relationships that we try to forge with them now. Mm -hmm. Talk about that, because you've been to a lot of their houses back in the day. Yeah. Um, I don't miss it. I enjoyed my career. It's mm -hmm. like I ran a marathon. I'm glad I did it. Glad it's over. Glad it's over. <laughs> but I enjoyed my career. I mean, it's not like, ah, oh, enough of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think because I was in radio and or TV for four, almost 40 years, um, it was time to go. So anyways, um, I think this retirement came at the right time. Uh, yes, I still follow sports, and I still watch the Flames. I watch you guys on the air. I have a lot of good friends. Uh, uh, Ryan Leslie and I worked at Global together. Brendan Parker and I worked at Global yeah. together. So these guys who I feel like I've mentored. Or yes, so, a, a little bit. A little bit. That's right. Um, and I love watching them and seeing how good they are and watching you guys. So um, I still watch, yeah. I watch it from a fan's perspective now, though, Eric. I don't. It's amazing, and if if you don't mind me going into this, um, I want to hear you, this. You do it every day. You got to fill. You got to fill the beast. You got to get some stories, and you're not as close maybe as we were back then to find some stuff out. Um, I say, why are they talking about this stuff? Just just play the game. But I did that years ago yeah. too. You had to find these things mm -hmm. that I thought were crucial to a broadcast, and now I kind of wonder. But I do enjoy watching the games, <laughs> most games. Yeah. The Ranger Flames game. Boy, if they could, every game could be like that. Oh. If every game could be close to that, then I might be a different kind of fan. But anyways, yeah. um, 
Yeah, I, I'm a fan. I, I'm a Stampeder fan still. I, I like watching all kinds of mm-hmm. sports. I, I do. But, yeah, I still watch. You know, you talk about how you're glad it's over. I mean, and, and maybe that's overstating the point. But, you know, do you look at our business now and say, and I think maybe you alluded to it just in your previous answer, you know, do you look at it now and say, man, that's, that's, that's kind of sad compared to what it used to be? I I. Without sounding like a grumpy old man yes, shouting at the clouds. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And I still have friends in the business, mm-hmm. and I don't want to dump on their careers and their and their jobs. That would be unfair. Each each era is different. I'm sure in the 80s and 90s, the old timers, a lot of guys in the city, the old guys who've been around for the 50s, 60s, 70s, they didn't like what we were doing on Sports yeah. 11. They and, they and how we did maybe our flames on two and seven. So each era has is different. Um, I wouldn't. I don't think I would fit in right now very well for my personality mm-hmm. and my style from how I once did it. Um, cl- before I retired, I went to the Flames and I said, okay, um, we don't have the broadcast rights, but I would like to go to the players' homes like I did back in the 80s for the intermission uh, features and do stories on these guys. Yeah. I don't care about the power play. I don't care about this stuff. I want to I wanna go to... Michael Backlund's house, and I want to show him with his wife and his dog and his kid and do those kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Well, the Flames looked at me and said, who, what? This isn't the 80s, Grant. We don't do that. You can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Eric, that bothered me for months and yeah. months and months. I, I thought that, was, that would be good TV. That would be good broadcasting. That would be good all around. That's what my audience on conventional TV wanted, those stories, not all the hockey stuff. And I couldn't do that. And that really bothered me. So not to be able to do that today would kill me. Yeah. And it is, it, you just have to learn to adapt. And you would learn to adapt and change. Well, you and- have to. I mean, you, you, every, everybody wants a job. Mm-hmm. To keep your job, you got to do the yeah. in the confines of the business. But some of those home features, how why it was fun. Um, and not every player was a star, so you had to really make something up. I mean, you could go to Lanny's house or something like that, and just the interview would be enough, mm-hmm. or Doug Gilmore or something like that. Perry Barazan and Joe Lotto lived together in Bridgeland. So they said, sure, come to, come to our condo. They had a nice condo there. So I got there. I said, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know what they did? They played, they played guns. They played like laser, laser guns running around their living room and apartment. And we, and, and we filmed it. And there's <laughs> Perry Barazan diving behind the couch. And Joe Lotto, bang, 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 gotcha. And all this kind of stuff. So we did stuff like that. The one I really liked. Kind of weird. Brian McClellan, now the general manager of the Washington Capitals, mm-hmm. was with the Flames when they won the Cup. I said, Brian, uh, and he was kind of a cool uh, single guy. You know, he was a good-looking, fun guy. <laughs> I said, let me come to your bachelor pad. You know, let me do a yeah. home feature. So I did. It was at Point McKay. Hardly any furniture, nothing in there. I said, um, you cook? Brian was very low-key. No. We made it up. We cooked macaroni and cheese as if it was the most delicious <laughs> thing you could make and taste. And we did it seriously. And then we sat down at the table with a candle on the table and I would do the interview. And so just those kinds of things were, were, were so much fun. And, and, and Eric, and that, that made me be a better host on the flames in yeah. two and seven, because back then, like now there wasn't talk radio opinions weren't important. I, my opinion wasn't important because it wasn't. I tried to go to get informed opinion. I tried to go to the players. I tried to go to scouts. I tried and get tell me what you think, and I can regurgitate that. Or this is what you said. So, to get information from players at the time that I could say without quoting them was invaluable. Yeah, well, I invaluable. Think it's funny. I'm sure our younger listeners right now are thinking, "Oh my god, yeah. I, can't, I can't picture uh, you know a feature with Jonathan Huberdo shooting guns." with, you know, Jacob Pelche in their apartment together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because guys are so protective of their brand. They don't want to look like fools. Back then, I think those guys were probably just happy that they were getting a little media attention. Now the media attention is considered a burden, and they try to limit it and push it away, whereas then I think they invited the the, the coverage. And I didn't have to go through public relations or front office. I could just go up to uh, Tim Hunter or whomever and say, Tim, any chance I can come to your place to a nice feature with you? He says, let me check with my wife. He yeah. Come, he come back the next day or two and say, Grant, can you come back on the 31st? We got an off day or whatever. Yeah. It was so much easier. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it was just rewarding. It, it really, it really was. It really felt good. Okay. All right. Again, we're talking to Grant Pollock about uh, the way it used to be, and now we're going to morph a little bit more into the way it is now. But before we do that fully, I want to ask you about Ed Whalen, and I'm sure you get asked about Ed all the time. You worked with this, you know, another legend in the marketplace for a lot of years. Yeah. And uh, beloved, beloved figure. What What are your takeaways when when someone asks you about Ed Whalen? What What do you say? The nicest man to people. Uh, when I would get on an airplane, if Ed and I were traveling, I'd put the Walkman on. <laughs> the yellow one? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bury my head in a, in a newspaper. Oh. Ed making me would work the airplane. Hey! Hello! Hi! And people would recognize him or oh, something yeah. like this, where I would kind of cower. You know, not, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, mm. but I wasn't as social... Eddie was so nice to people, and that's my takeaway. Um, the one thing, was, I learned so much from hockey producers. The guys behind the scenes, many were from Toronto, and they would join us on the road. Some would come from Vancouver to, to, for Calgary games. But they taught me a lot. And one guy says, Grant, stop trying to be an announcer. Stop trying to be a good sports announcer. And I think what they meant to say were Ed was just Ed. Ed was a true personality. Mm-hmm. There's another guy I worked with. Joe Sports was much like that. They had a different persona. They would uh, they would over exaggerate themselves, yeah. and that was their media persona, but not necessarily off air. Where I think I was trying to. Be. So, anyways, um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think Ed was the epitome of a personality, which I don't think we have anymore. A lot of guys like myself at the beginning wanted to be. Well, you want to be credible first of mm-hmm. all. But uh, maybe not trying to be as natural. And Ed was natural. He was not the best play-by-play guy in the world, mm-hmm. but he had a unique style, and people liked him for that. Ed and I would get on a team bus when we were traveling with the team on the road, and the back of the room, back of the bus, you hear, "Hello, hockey fans!" Ed, they would be impersonating Eddie all the yeah. time. So <laughs> he was just a nice man. He cared about the flame so much. Yeah. I was more of the reporter style, Eric, where I would, I wanted a good telecast. I was a TV guy. I wanted a, I wanted a good game, good features, good interviews. I said, that was a, even though, even if the Flames won, where Eddie cared, Eddie would get so upset. I don't know, kid, that was a rough one. I said, Eddie, we had a good show, but he cared about, he cared about the Flames so much. Yeah. He cared. And you see less and less of that now, which I actually think is more professional. I'm not saying Ed was unprofessional, but he was a fan. And you could be back then because you were the local broadcaster and, you know, everyone in the city was pulling for him. He kind of represented the people. Ed was a man of the people for yeah, sure. And I, and I think the Flames management wanted me to be more like that. And, I'm, and I just couldn't do that. No, good I, for you. No. I, but it was tough. It was mm-hmm. tough sometimes for me. I know some of the management and people there wanted, I remember Lanny McDonald was joking around. So, yeah, we got Ed on our side. We're still working on Grant. Oh, yeah. See? <laughs> Something like that. And, uh, yeah. But but back then, you know, my not my heroes, but the guys who I admire were the beat guys: Eric Dahachik, George Johnson, uh, Mike Board, Gal uh, Topitz. I'm trying to think of yeah. some names. Mark Miller for a while. There, yeah, yeah, Mark. Mark. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly from the Sun. Uh, yeah. And how they just got good stories, and that's what I kind of wanted to do. Yeah. Is because um, back then in the '80s, you have to remember, TV guys were talking heads. Mm-hmm. Just the pretty boys with the hairspray and the makeup and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to expand that. I really tried. Yeah. And I got my hands slapped a few times, but I was proud of how I did it. But there was a cost. There yeah. was a cost in my relationship with management sometimes. And It is a balancing act. A lot of, you well, know, you must find would, that. Oh, you must find uh, that because day. your background is more reporting, breaking stories, mm-hmm. being critical, and you mm-hmm. tr- and you try in your position. Absolutely. Oh no, I hey, I've I've never been on the Flames charter. Never will go on the Flames charter. I never thought it was a place where a. Uh, I don't think a beat reporter. I was never a beat reporter. I was always a columnist, so I was all about opinion. So there were lots of things. I mean, there were there was a decade there where I walked into that room and I knew most of the players didn't like me. Because I was calling it the way it was, they were a terrible team, and these guys were terrible players, and I would, I wasn't going to sugarcoat yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so, it, but now it's a different relationship. But now yeah. I'm working for Sportsnet, and that changed right. things when I left four years ago from the newspaper. Changes things a little bit, and on the broadcast, you've got to choose your words a little better. And I'm not really good at mincing my words. I've had to become better at it. 
Uh, it's a skill that I'm I'm still working on, but because I'm just the guy who calls it black and white. They're junk or they're good or you know whatever the That's case is. That's your background in print. In print. That's media. how I became a columnist, and and so now. And, and, you know, and so I'm polarizing. That's the best word probably for it. But But the players, um, you still have to try and forge some sort of relationship with them to get them to talk to you if you want to. Anyway. Well, sometimes um, I, I had heard the players were a little PO'd at us, at mm-hmm. myself or whatever. For sure. And But then I also heard from others as saying, oh, but they watched. They wanted That's to right. know. They wanted to know. And one of the players said to me, Grant, why don't you leave the dirt for the newspapers? And, and and that was, so yeah so it it was um I wanted to be a good host I did a credible job um but I yeah I guess sometimes I did get a little too, too critical for the what the position is yeah so that was kind of a balancing act but okay we're gonna take a break here because we're gonna bring on Tim Hunter and you're gonna help me chat with him because you you covered Tim in the heyday when he was one of the more feared guys yeah in not just the hockey world, but the world. <laughs> and respected, too. Not yeah. just a tough guy, but respected person. Yeah. But before we take a break, just want to get your very brief thoughts on this current Calgary Flames team. Because now you look at them just as a fan. Yeah. yeah. Um, last year, I really enjoyed watching almost every mm-hmm. game. It, it was just exciting. Uh, this year, I watch almost out of, ah, okay, there's a game on. Okay, it's okay. I think they're a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. I think they're built for the playoffs. Defensively, they're pretty good. They're missing a goal scorer. If they get Johnny Goodrow, Goodrow back yeah. and, 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 and get a goalie who can uh, not screw it up in the first part of the game. <laughs> because if you had a guy who could score a few more on the power play, like Goodrow, and I'm joking about getting him back, right? Mm-hmm. But you get somebody like that who could just put the puck in the net. They're missing that. And Markstrom is just not the same guy. He plays well later on in the game. Yeah. But it's like you on TV. If you screwed up every first intermission of every game or quite often, but you got better as a broadcast went on, yeah. you wouldn't be a good broadcaster. Yeah. So I think they had better goaltending. And if they had a one guy who could just score a little easier, yeah, I think they'd be in the first or second place in this uh, division. I don't think you're wrong. I think that's a great take because I, I see it the same uh, way. This is a good team on paper. They've underachieved. They're not as exciting as last year. I think we knew that was going to be the case. The goaltending is shockingly uh, average, I'll say. Even Sus- at, Suspect. Yeah, yeah. When, you're at, when you on. average out a whole game, it's average at best. Yeah. And then the guy they got from Florida, number 10, Huberto, is so disappointing at that dollar figure. Oh, so, yeah. Um, so those are, my, those are nothing new. I'm not you know, describing anything nobody else knows. Yeah. But that's how I look at it. I sort of enjoy watching them. I think they play a pretty good defensive game. I mm-hmm. think they'll be okay in the playoffs if they could score a few more on the power play and the goalie would not cough up some easy ones early in the game. There you go. There you go. There's Grant Pollock's take on the current Calgary Flames team, and I think he speaks for a lot of people uh, for sure. So we're going to take a break. Uh, Grant Pollock's going to stay with me. We're going to view Tim Hunter uh, when we come back off the break. And, of course, the Eric Francis Show is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly. We'll be back in just a couple minutes with Tim Hunter. Why are they talking about this stuff? Just just play the game. But I did that years ago, yeah. too. You had to find these things mm-hmm. that I thought were crucial to a broadcast, and now I kind of wonder. But I do enjoy watching the games. <laughs> Most games, yeah. the Ranger Flames game, boy, if they could, every game could be like that. Oh. If every game could be close to that, then I might be a different kind of fan. But anyways, yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm a fan. I, I'm a Stan Peter fan still. I, I like watching all kinds of mm-hmm. sports. I, I do. But yeah, I still watch. You know, you talk about how you're glad it's over. I mean, and maybe that's overstating the point. But, you know, do you look at our business now? And say, and I think maybe you alluded to it just in your previous answer. You know, do you look at it now and say, "Man, that's that's," it's kind of sad compared to what it used to be. I, I, without sounding like a grumpy old man yes, shouting at the clouds. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And I still have friends in the business, mm-hmm. and I don't want to dump on their careers and their and their jobs. That would be unfair. Each each era is different. I'm sure in the '80s and '90s, the old timers. A lot of guys in the city, the old guys who've been around for the 50s, 60s, 70s, 
they didn't like what we were doing on sports yeah. at eleven. They and they, and how we did maybe our flames on two and seven. So each era has, is different. Um, I wouldn't. I don't think I would fit in right now very well for my personality mm-hmm. and my style from how I once did it. Um, cl- before I retired, I went to the Flames and I said, okay, um, we don't have the broadcast rights, but I would like to go to the players' homes like I did back in the 80s for the intermission uh, features and do stories on these guys. Yeah. I don't care about the power play. I don't care about this stuff. I want to I go to Michael Backlund's house and I want to show him with his wife and his dog and his kid and do those kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Well, the Flames looked at me and said, who, what? This isn't the 80s, Grant. We don't do that. You can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Eric, that bothered me for months and yeah. months and months. I, I thought that, was, that would be good TV. That would be good broadcasting. That would be good all around. That's what my audience on conventional TV wanted, those stories, not all the hockey stuff. And I couldn't do that, and that really bothered me. So not to be able to do that today would kill me. Yeah. And it is, it, you just have to learn to adapt. And you would learn to adapt and change. Well, you and- have to. I mean, you, you, every, everybody wants a job. Mm-hmm. To keep your job, you got to do the yeah. in the confines of the business. But some of those home features, how, why it was fun. Um, and not every player was a star, so you had to really make something up. I mean, you could go to Lanny's house or something like that, and just the interview would be enough, mm-hmm. or Doug Gilmore or something like that. Perry Barazan and Joe Lotto lived together in Bridgeland. So they said, sure, come to, come to our condo. They had a nice condo there. So I got there. I said, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know what they did? They played, they played guns. They played like laser, laser guns running around their living room and apartment. And we, and, and we filmed it. And there's <laughs> Perry Barazan diving behind the couch. And Joel out of, bang, 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 gotcha. And all this kind of stuff. So we did stuff like that. The one I really liked. Kind of weird. Brian McClellan, now the general manager of the Washington Capitals, mm-hmm. was with the Flames when they won the Cup. I said, Brian, uh, and he was kind of a cool uh, single guy. You know, he was a good-looking, fun guy. <laughs> I said, let me come to your bachelor pad. You know, let me do a yeah. home feature. So I did. It was at Point McKay. Hardly any furniture, nothing in there. I said, um, you cook? Brian was very low-key. No. We made it up. We cooked macaroni and cheese as if it was the most delicious <laughs> thing you could make and taste. And we did it seriously. And then we sat down at the table with a candle on the table and I would do the interview. And so just those kinds of things were, were, were so much fun. And, 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 Eric, and that, that made me be a better host on the Flames in yeah. 2 and 7. Because back then, like now, there wasn't talk radio. Opinions weren't important. I... My opinion wasn't important because it wasn't. I tried to go to get informed opinion. I tried to go to the players. I tried to go to scouts. I tried and get, tell me what you think, and I can regurgitate that, or this is what you said. So to get information from players at the time that I could say without quoting them was invaluable. Yeah. Well, I invaluable. think invaluable. It's funny. I'm sure our younger listeners right now are thinking, oh my God, yeah. I, can't, I can't picture, uh, you know, a feature with Jonathan Huberto shooting guns. With, you know, Jacob Pelche in their apartment together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because guys are so protective of their brand. They don't want to look like fools. Back then, I think those guys were probably just happy that they were getting a little media attention. Now the media attention is considered a burden and they try to limit it and push it away. Whereas then, I think they invited the the, the coverage. And I didn't have to go through public relations or front office. I could just go up to uh, Tim Hunter or whomever and say, Tim, any chance I can come to your place to a nice feature with you? He says, let me check with my wife. He yeah. Come, he come back the next day or two and say, Grant, can you come back on the 31st? We got an off day or whatever. Yeah. It was so much easier. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just rewarding. It, it really, it really was. It really felt good. Okay. All right. Again, we're talking to Grant Pollock about uh, the way it used to be. And now we're going to morph a little bit more into the way it is now. But before we do that fully, I want to ask you about Ed Whalen, and I'm sure you get asked about Ed all the time. You worked with this, you know, another legend in the marketplace for a lot of years. Yeah. And uh, beloved, beloved figure. What What are your takeaways when, when someone asks you about Ed Whalen? What, what do you say? The nicest man to people. Uh, when I would get on an airplane, if Ed and I were traveling, I'd put the Walkman on. <laughs> the yellow one? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Bury my head in a, in a newspaper. Oh, Ed me would work the airplane. Hey, hello, hi. 
and people would recognize him or oh, something yeah. like this, where I would kind of cower. You know, not, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, mm. but I wasn't as social. Eddie was so nice to people, and that's my takeaway. Um, the one thing, was, I learned so much from hockey producers. The guys behind the scenes, many were from Toronto, and they would join us on the road. Some would come from Vancouver to, to, for Calgary games. But they taught me a lot. And one guy says, Grant, stop trying to be an announcer. Stop trying to be a good sports announcer. And I think what they meant to say were Ed was just Ed. Ed was a true personality. Mm-hmm. There's another guy I worked with. Joe Sports was much like that. They had a different persona. They would uh, they would over exaggerate themselves, yeah. and that was their media persona, but not necessarily off air. Where I think I was trying to. Be. So, anyways, um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think Ed was the epitome of a personality, which I don't think we have anymore. A lot of guys like myself at the beginning wanted to be. Well, you want to be credible first of mm-hmm. all. But uh, maybe not trying to be as natural. And Ed was natural. He was not the best play-by-play guy in the world, mm-hmm. but he had a unique style, and people liked him for that. Ed and I would get on a team bus when we were traveling with the team on the road, and the back of the room, back of the bus, you hear, "Hello, hockey fans!" Eddie, they would be impersonating Eddie all the yeah. time. So <laughs> he was just a nice man. He cared about the Flames so much. Yeah. I was more of the reporter style, Eric, where I would, I wanted a good telecast. I was a TV guy. I wanted a, I wanted a good game, good features, good interviews. I said, that was a, even though, even if the Flames won, where Eddie cared, Eddie would get so upset. I don't know, kid, that was a rough one. I said, Eddie, we had a good show, but he cared he, about, he cared about the Flames so much. Yeah. He and, cared. And you see less and less of that now, which I actually think is more professional. I'm not saying Ed was unprofessional, but he was a fan. And you could be back then because you were the local broadcaster and, you know, everyone in the city was pulling for him. He kind of represented the people. Ed was a man of the people for yeah, sure. And I, and I think the Flames management wanted me to be more like that. And, I'm, and I just couldn't do that. No, good I, for you. No. I, but it was tough. It was mm-hmm. tough sometimes for me. I know some of the management and people there wanted, I remember Lanny McDonald was joking around. So, yeah, we got Ed on our side. We're still working on Grant. Oh, yeah. See? <laughs> Something like that. And, uh, yeah. But, but back then, you know, my, not my heroes, but the guys who I admire were the beat guys. Eric DeHatchik, George Johnson, uh, Mike Board, Gal uh, Conatopitz. I'm trying to think of yeah. some names. Mark Miller for a while there. Yeah, Mark, yeah. Mark, yeah. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly from the sun. Uh, yeah. And how they just got good stories. And that's what I kind of wanted to do. Yeah. Is because um, back then in the 80s, you have to remember, TV guys were talking heads. Mm-hmm. Just the pretty boys with the hairspray and the makeup and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to expand that. I really tried. Yeah. And I got my hands slapped a few times, but I was proud of how I did it. But there was a cost. There yeah. was a cost in my relationship with management sometimes. And It is a balancing act. A lot of, you well, know, you must find would, that. Oh, you must find uh, that because day. your background is more reporting, breaking stories, mm-hmm. being critical, and you mm-hmm. tr- and you try in your position. Absolutely. Oh no, I hey, I've I've never been on the Flames charter. Never will go on the Flames charter. I never thought it was a place where a. Uh, I don't think a beat reporter. I was never a beat reporter. I was always a columnist, so I was all about opinion. So there were lots of things. I mean, there were there was a decade there where I walked into that room and I knew most of the players didn't like me. Because I was calling it the way it was. They were a terrible team, and these guys were terrible players, and I would, I wasn't going to sugarcoat yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so it, but it, now it's a different relationship. But now yeah. I'm working for Sportsnet, and that changed things when I left four years ago from the newspaper. Changes things a little bit. And on the broadcast, you've got to choose your words a little better. And I'm not really good at mincing my words. I've had to become better at it. Uh, it's a skill that I'm, I'm still working on, but because I'm just a guy who calls it black and white. They're junk or they're good or you know whatever the That's case is. That's your background in print. In print. That's media. how I became a columnist, and and so now, and and you know, and so I'm polarizing. That's the best word probably for. It. But but the players, um, you still have to try and forge some sort of relationship with them to get them to talk to you, if you want to. Anyway, well, sometimes um, I, I had heard the players were a little PO'd at us, at mm-hmm. myself or whatever, for sure. And but then I also heard from others as saying, oh, but they watched. They wanted That's to know. Right. They wanted to know. And one of the players said to me, Grant, why don't you leave the dirt for the newspapers? And, and, and that was, so, yeah. so it, it was, um, I wanted to be a good host. I did a credible job, um, but I, yeah, I guess sometimes I did get a little t- 
too critical for the, what the position is. Yeah. So that was kind of a balancing act. But Okay, we're going to take a break here because we're going to bring on Tim Hunter and you're going to help me chat with him because you you covered Tim in the heyday when he was one of the more feared guys yeah. in not just the hockey world, but the world. <laughs> and respected, too. Not yeah. just a tough guy, but respected person. Yeah, but before we take a break, just want to get your very brief thoughts on this current Calgary Flames team because now you look at him just as a fan. Yeah. yeah. Um, last year, I really enjoyed watching almost every mm-hmm. game. It, it was just exciting. Uh, this year, I watch almost out of, ah, okay, there's a game on. Okay, it's okay. I think they're a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. I think they're built for the playoffs. Defensively, they're pretty good. They're missing a goal scorer. If they get Johnny Goodrow, Goodrow back yeah. and, 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 and get a goalie who can uh, not screw it up in the first part of the game. <laughs> because if you had a guy who could score a few more on the power play, like Goodrow, and I'm joking about getting him back, right? Mm-hmm. But you get somebody like that who could just put the puck in the net. They're missing that. And Markstrom is just not the same guy. He plays well later on in the game. Yeah. But it's like you on TV. If you screwed up every first intermission of every game or quite often, but you got better as a broadcast went on, yeah. you wouldn't be a good broadcaster. Yeah. So I think they had better goaltending. And if they had a one guy who could just score a little easier, yeah, I think they'd be in the first or second place in this uh, division. I don't think you're wrong. I think that's a great take because I, I see it the same I, way. This is a good team on paper. They've underachieved. They're not as exciting as last year. I think we knew that was going to be the case. The goaltending is shockingly uh, average, I'll say. Even Sus- at, Suspect. Yeah, yeah. When, you're, when you average out a whole game, it's average at best. Yeah. And then the guy they got from Florida, number 10, Huberto, is so disappointing at that dollar figure. Oh, so, yeah. Um, so those are, my, those are nothing new. I'm not you know, describing anything nobody else knows. Yeah. But that's how I look at it. I sort of enjoy watching them. I think they play a pretty good defensive game. I mm-hmm. think they'll be okay in the playoffs if they could score a few more on the power play and the goalie would not cough up some easy ones early in the game. There you go. There you go. There's Grant Pollock's take on the current Calgary Flames team, and I think he speaks for a lot of people uh, for sure. So we're going to take a break. And, of course, the Eric Francis Show is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, we got the icon. Grant Pollock's going to stay with us for the next half hour. We're endeavoring to get Tim Hunter. We're having a little trouble right now getting him, but uh, we're going to keep trying him. Uh, in the meantime, I, I, I knew I could talk to you for the full hour about some great stories and, you know, one of the stories that I get asked all the time, have you ever had a player that was going to beat you up or wanted to beat you up or threatened to beat you up or got, you got in a situation where you actually thought someone was going to punch you or something? Did that happen to you? Because it's happened to me. He, he, he didn't. I don't, don't know about, about punching, but he, he backed me up into a wall and looked at me. It, was, it was Paul Reinhardt. Um, this list would be back in 87, I believe, uh, maybe 88, before the trade deadline. Um, and I had John Tonelli on between periods. And I, um, I always had three questions with, with my guests in the studio. We talk about the game, talk about your situation with the team, and then something personal. One of my questions about his situation was that his name had come up in uh, trade talks. Yeah. That must be kind of tough to keep on playing and to be focused and not have it worry. It's, it's not a, a question none of us have not used before. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and Tanelli, like no, well, Tanelli stammered and didn't know how to answer it, and looked. I don't know if he looked PO'd at me, but he was up. He he, he was he, it caught him off guard. Allegedly, mm-hmm. or what I was told. Reinhardt said after, he said, "You should not have done that." And he threatened. He got up into my face, and I was, I was a little nervous about that. Wow. And um, so that's another time then when I was unsure of my. I guess I was just trying to be a good reporter and ask the right questions and. I guess I just didn't toe the line that the players wanted me to do. So that that was one. Um, th- this wasn't where he coach was mad at me, but um, I was outside the uh, in the hallway. So the co- the players and the coaches come off after the period. Had to talk to Brian Sutter real quick. So it'd be live to tape. Boom, ask him a question or two before they go off into the dressing room. 
So I said, Brian Suttis is back when uh, Michael Nylander played for the team. I said, uh, I said, coach, for a, for a, for a team that's um, offensively challenged, I'm surprised your best offensive player, your best goal scorer, is scratched tonight. Mm-hmm. He looked at me. This, this, this was supposed to go live on TV. That's a dumb effing question. Oh. And I didn't know what to say. <laughs> he just glared at me and then just walked away. So he, I wasn't threatening for my life, but I... And that was it. Luckily, that was live to tape, and we they they couldn't yeah. turn it around after. But I have a hard time believing a Sutter turned to a media guy and said something like that. I've never <laughs> seen that. <laughs> Every but day you, I see that. But you know when Brian when Brian did those things, it just it didn't seem contrived. Daryl's a little different. It seems a little more mean spirited sometimes. Yeah. Brian was just kind of kind of fun, goofy. Yeah. That's the way he was. I didn't take it as a. Ah, yeah, that was bad. So it wasn't too bad. Hey, we know in our business, you have to have thick skin. I mean, you you know, the one thing I always say about an athlete being mad about you or challenging you in some way is I always appreciate, and I'll tell them that right after an exchange, a heated exchange, whatever, I'll say, I always appreciate you telling me where I stand because there's nothing worse than when a guy's holding a grudge or there's some, he just won't talk to you or he's mad about something, but he won't tell you what it is. Yeah. Because then you can't move forward. Yeah. And so I always appreciate a guy having it out with me. And then we kind of, I asked the question, so how do we move forward or do we? And, and I think that's a, that's a very mature way. I think for athletes to deal with it. Now we're dealing with 20, 21 year old, 22 year old kids. I don't expect them to be mature, but the ones I really appreciate the ones who are mature enough. Uh, I had a situation years ago and, and he lives in town here now. And it's a, uh, Jason Weimer was traded, mm-hmm. and uh, Ryan Sutter loved Jason Weimer. He loved Jason Weimer, and Jason was like, I think he was the first overall pick or top four yeah, for overall ta- with pick. Tampa. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. And he came to Calgary, and people liked him. Like people thought he was a good, you know, good tough player. Like he was a fan favorite. And they traded him in one summer. Craig Button traded him, and I had been told by a couple sources that he was uh, a, a problem in the room. That's why they traded him. I used the word in my column. I was a young journalist, and this is a mistake that I've since felt very bad about. I said that he was a cancer in the dressing room. I've since lost my father to cancer. Cancer is not something you say lightly, and I I deeply regretted that later. Now, it was interesting because Craig Button and the agent for Jason Weimer wrote me letters. This is back in the letter-writing days, saying this is not true. You know, this is not at all accurate. And, uh, and, 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 and fair enough. I, I guess the guys who told me that in the room and they were teammates of Weimer's, they probably just didn't like Weimer. So that was their take on Weimer. Anyway, I ran into Weimer that summer at Stampede Dusty's out in the back. It wasn't a very big area. Yeah, I know that. We'd area. both been drinking heavily for several hours, hot, sunny day. I saw one of his buddies and I recognized him. I go, Hey, Joel, how are you? And I look over and I go to shake his buddy's hand and it's Weimer. And we hadn't seen each other since then. And we are now shaking hands in a prolonged, uncomfortably prolonged handshake. Yeah, and big, Weimer, strong hands, Oh, too. he was a monster, yeah. right? And Weimer looks down at me, and I go, hey, oh, hey, uh, hey, Weems. <laughs> yeah, and we, I never call yeah. them by their nicknames. Yeah. But I go, hey, Weems, how are you? And I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is not good. And he, he looks down at me, and there were a few choice words in there, but he basically said, not bad, not bad. I'm about to knock your effing block off, but not bad. And he would not let go of my hand. And my buddy who was next to him doesn't jump in like, hey, hey, let's go get some shooters. or And and just allows this uncomfortable situation to go for another 10 seconds, felt like 10 minutes, till he finally let go. And then, you know, we kind of just went our separate ways and nothing happened. I still see Jason Weimer around town every once in a while. I, I will forever feel awful that I that's mm-hmm. how he left town. And I said that about him. We make mistakes in life. We can only try to atone for them. So I always say nice things about Jason Weimer now and apologize to him. But that was a that's one of those situations I, where I thought I was going to get punched. Probably should have been. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I look back on how I how I did those stories, and if I just changed a word or yeah. two or my tone, and just worded it, couched it differently, I would get the same story across. But just maybe a little more credibility intact, I guess. But one thing words, that's what I'm talking about. You got to yes. learn the, yes. the, the language is so important. You're he, right. He, yeah. Um, one time, though, uh, a coach, Terry Crisp, 
says, and he and I had a really good relationship. He would come on in our post-game show and our broadcasts, and he says, we're like Ron and Don of the West. You know, he we, we joke around like that. I don't think we were, but we were doing okay. We had, we had a good relationship, a lot of fun, little little chatter after a game. Well, 1990 in the playoffs, the Flames lose to um, L.A. Prior to getting beaten out in game six, I was um, – I. I went on the air and says they got to get rid of the coach during the season or during the during the playoffs. There's chaos inside that dressing room, and I had pretty good source that it was accurate, and I knew it was going to be in the paper, so I wanted to get that story on that mm-hmm. night, and I did. How I worded that story and how I said it, I would like to change. But Crispy always says, Pollock, just have the you-know-whats to come back and be face-to-face with me in the office the next day if you're going to be like that. I said, okay, I'll, I promise. So I... I went in the next day. He saw me walk into his office. Get the F out of my room! <laughs> so much for a coach saying, just yeah. show up and be and have the, you know, what's uh-huh. going on. It's to be face-to-face. He didn't want me in there. That's funny. See, that's an age-old adage in our business. If you're going to rip someone, especially as a columnist for what, 27 years, I've been Don't doing Don't hide it. away. Go you there. You show up the next day. Yeah. And I've written scathing columns many times in my career where the next day I'm supposed to be off. And I'm thinking, damn it, why did I write that story? I could have waited a day and written that, and then I wouldn't have to show up on my day off. But you go in, and this happened to me a week and a half ago. I was extremely critical of Daryl Sutter for the way he handled the Jacob Peltry situation. I destroyed him in a column. Uh, Captain Buzz, or Coach Buzzkill, I called him. I just, I just said he's, he no, lacked, I read that. It was a, it was a very good story. Well, thank you. But it, he, was- it lacked human decency. And, it, and I think the city echoed my belief. And I, I don't know if I've ever written anything in my career that was so universally applauded. And I think it's because people felt like I was maybe pushing back on a bit of a bully. And, uh, of course, the next day I've got to go in. And I've had a long relationship with Daryl Sutter. I've been to his farm. His mom's made me cookies at the, at the farm. And, you know, and I know Chris and Wanda. They come to my pizza pig out. Like, but at the end of the day, you, i got to call a spade a spade. And, and, and hey, Daryl's not going to hold back when he wants to rip me apart. So I'm not going to hold back when I need to rip him apart. This is just the way it goes. And um, Daryl didn't come out that day and talk. So I had to wait two more days until he was finally made available. And I sat right in the front and, and I asked five of the first six questions and he could not have been nicer. Because I also think Daryl really learned from that. I think he realized he went too far. Because since he's been very complimentary. He's been over the Especially top complimentary. Especially when he scored his first goal and things like that. He's been, yes. And what did he say on Saturday after Pelche scored his first goal? Like I told you guys all along, like I've said a million times. And I'm thinking, I don't I don't remember any of this, but go ahead, Daryl. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll hear you out. Yeah. And he said, he, he you know, that he's always said he's going to be a good player in the league. He just has to get older and a little stronger. And- Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. And we, we're, we kind of touched upon it earlier. Um, there, there aren't as many media people in the town to write about stuff or talk about the stuff. You're about the only in the position to do that. Mm -hmm. And I guess you have addressed it by being on Sportsnet too. It's, it's a fine line. Um, is there enough critical commentary on the team or am I just an old guy? I don't know where to find it because my conventional ways of the past where I would hear, see, listen. I, I don't know where it is. Maybe it's on forums and podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Is that, is that where well, it is? Well, that's where it is now. It's easy to go on a podcast or go on a morning show or, or do anything and be critical of the team because you don't have to show up the next day. You don't have to look these guys in the eye. You're not, you're not, um, you're not held accountable for the things you say. You can, anybody can have an, a blogger. I, or, I or, agree with or, that. And, 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 and that's fine. And I think there are a lot of fans that want to go on those forums and hear people rip into the team and be critical and all that. There are also people who get all, all of their news only from flames.com where it's all sunshine and lollipops and nothing ever bad happens to the Calgary flames. It's all positive. I believe that, you know, I'm some, I have to be now somewhere in the middle at Sportsnet, and I I'm still critical. I, I, I'm, I still take great pride in being very critical and that's ultimately, I'm sure how it's all going to end for me uh, with a cancellation of some sort, but, but I, sometimes Eric, it doesn't have to be ripping them all the time. It can, it can be, Good analysis or informed opinion that you've garnered that why don't they do this kind of thing or something like that. Do you know exactly. What I, mean? I think in the past, okay, I'll give an example. On Saturday, that game, that, that uh, crazy game, I think is the biggest win of the season for them when they came back from 2 nothing down against Buffalo. In the first intermission, I just showed the second goal that Markstrom led in. The first goal was a, a 
No goalie in the world stopping that one. The second one, uh, he's got to have it. And and that's all I said on here. I didn't rip him apart. I didn't mm-hmm. say he can't start anymore, like a lot of fans are saying. I said he's got to have that. He's got to have that save. The team needs that save. That's the save that's been missing yeah. from this guy a lot this year. So I'm still being critical. But you're right. A younger me would have gone on and said, "This is a joke. He shouldn't have started the game in the first place. Vladar should be the starter from now on." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And and I also think that when you're younger, uh, it's not just about kind of trying to be more careful with your words. It's also when you're younger, you're just a little more uh, mm-hmm. gregarious and a little outspoken. Gung-ho, and, little... and you say things, we all say things when we're younger that we probably wouldn't say when yeah. we're older because you think a little more about the the consequences and the repercussions and just how strong language really is. And yeah. every word matters. So yeah. it, it, I will agree with you. And I don't mean, I, I, people say, well, you don't want to hear controversy. or I don't mean that. Just on... Um, even even color commentators on on everywhere just not a, a little more timid to say th- real things that are beh- going on or should be going on. It's frustrating for me to watch as someone who's made a living being outspoken and not being afraid of the consequences. Um, and again, like I said, I've tamed down, but I still will call a spade a spade, and I will just say it in a in a much more uh, gentle language yeah. than I used to. But to your point, I think it's a good one. You know, there used to be a whole bunch of writers. Both newspapers had a columnist. You worked with Larry Tucker at the Calgary Sun. was notorious. That's right. Tucker was... But it was entertaining. Absolutely. And this is all entertainment, Grant. That's the one thing that, you know, I think a lot of people... I always laugh when I hear a coach say, it's all about wins. We're in the we're in the business of winning. I hear general managers say it, and I go, you know what? You don't get it. You don't get it. It It's not about winning. Winning's yeah. entertaining, and I'll give you that. But it's all about entertainment. And... Uh, you know, That's why the Jacob Pelche situation, him coming up, playing his first game, I said, finally the Flames have a bit of a wow factor. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, wow, you know what I mean? Yeah. A bit of a, well, this is kind of cool, young kid. Um, then it was, you know, brought, it was kicked down. And, and people so were very frustrated about that. We yeah. need more good kind of things that get us, especially in the, in the doldrums of the season to get you excited again. Mm-hmm. That's the entertainment part. That's right. As opposed to the methodical. And winning. you, you nailed it grant earlier in the, the interview. And I, I was talking to an Uber driver yesterday on my way back into town. And I, he says, I just don't feel like there's the excitement around the team. Like there was last year. And you said that exact same thing when you first came in, when I asked you about this year's team, I still think they're capable of being a very good team. They're running out of time. They're running out of runway. And I'm, and, and I'm not sure that, it's going to happen in time for this year. I still think they'll make the playoffs, but but you're right that that wow factor they had last year with the top line in the NHL is going to is impossible to kind of. How do, what do you do for an encore when and you Markstrom was team? so good and uh, yeah. other things? I wanted to watch. I wanted to make sure if I couldn't be there, I would record it for sure. Yeah, this yeah. year's just been a little different. I mean, mm-hmm. I still will watch. I'll probably watch tonight mm-hmm. unless Ange wants to do something. <laughs> Exactly. We're still talking to Grant Pollock. Uh, we we can't get a hold of Tim Hunter, but we'll we'll get him on for another show, no problem. In I got a meantime, couple of Tim Hunter things though. Well, yeah, tell me about Timmy because you would have worked very closely with him over the years. You've well, probably been to his house. You know who he trained with in the eighties because Tim was one of the best fighters in the game when when fighters were recognized. Now, yeah. of course, we don't have was Willie Dewitt, who was one oh. of the boxing champs, who was the heavyweight champ. Did he win the gold at the LA Olympics or silver? I think, I think he won gold, and gold. He's, he's a judge now, a provincial yes, judge here he in is. our province. So he could be listening. He still lives here. Um, but he trained. He trained with one of the heavyweights. He said, um, I remember asking him who he thought was the toughest fighter that he ever fought. And it, it was a player who became his teammate, was Nick Fatillo. He said oh, he really? could not believe the one punch he gave him in New York when Nick played for the uh, Rangers, and it was the hardest punch to his face he said he's ever, ever felt. Oh. Nick Fatia was. Did you know he played in the American, no, was it the American Hockey League or the International Hockey League with Birmingham? John Brophy was his coach, and John Brophy told him then, because um, uh, Tim was a defenseman. You know, he was drafted in the 1979 draft, which is one of the arguably one of the best drafts, Ever. Yeah. Third round. And he was a defenseman. Spokane. Spokane. And uh, Brophy, his coach in the minors, said, listen, kid, you can be, uh, you have two choices in your hockey career. You can be the best defenseman in the minors, or you can be one of the top fighters in the NHL. Really? You pick. And, of course, we know what he picked. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, I, 
Tim Tim Hunter's career, and even after his playing days, is fascinating to me because he also then went on to coach, coach. as an assistant in the league. All over the place. He coached in junior. Yeah. I mean, when we do get him on the show, there's so much I want to talk to him about. You know, he wasn't one of those uh, guys that uh, flamboyant, grabbing headlines. He was a quiet guy. He just did things right. Mm. He was in great shape. When you didn't hear players staying in great shape, that you know, he was one of the guys I remember was physically fit um, and a quiet, respected guy. And then he became a captain of the team and uh, just a quality guy. I wanted to ask him today about that 1991 series against the Oilers was to me the best hockey I have ever seen on a mm-hmm. continual basis. Not a one game, but a seven game. And he was in that. Um, I wanted to ask about 1992 when they should have, I think, repeated a Stanley Cup champs. They were good enough, even though they lost Hoken Lube and a few players. They were still good enough to win it. What happened? Was that dressing room really in chaos? I wanted to ask Timmy that. But in 90, yeah. 1990, they lost L.A. Yeah. In overtime, Krushelniski's flutter. Oh, the crazy goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, There's so many uh, stories from the 80s that, that you have and you remember, and people in the city hold dear, you know, people of our yeah. age. In uh, sports, I love stories. I love when you get somebody on this show, and you had Brent Cron on last week or the week after. Yeah. La- Even I, yeah. it, it was a while ago. Not, not He's that a long great ago. storyteller. He was. Yeah. He is, I should say. And he had about his own situation, and uh, he came close to death. Mm-hmm. I just love players. That's what I miss in the game today. Yeah. I don't like like the Super Bowl. It was great, but the Kelseys, you know, you know, Travis and uh, Jason Kelsey, the story of the brothers. I mean, I just I love stories yeah. within the games, and I just wish I could find it. I wish. You, we knew people were, you know, where it, you could, I could get them. Well, it, it is hard, you know, to get players to tell stories nowadays. You can, well, you don't get one-on-ones very often, do you? No, only one-on-one one interviews, like we used to all the time, sitting in the stall or up in the stands. You go sit, can I get you for 10, 15, 20 yeah. minutes? No, now they now they've got to race out because they got to catch the bus, or they've got treatment, or or they're just not interested in talking to you for that long, or you've got a scrum situation where you've only got three minutes. It's very hard now. Again. Our business is a lot like most other businesses in the world where it's really all about relationships. And so if you forge a relationship with a guy, then he's more apt to start opening up and telling you better stories and being more entertaining and being more endearing to fans. I wish I wish players understood how that chain can work. If you open up a little more is and it are the more personable. Or, or the management, uh, the, the team, they, want, they want to control the message. and uh... Yeah, I, I think that a lot of these players are taught uh, when they come into the NHL and other leagues, hey, don't say anything to the media. Don't offer anything up to the media. And I wish that they would invite me or you or somebody who's in the media today to one of those early season meetings that they have with players and say, listen, you really should just be open and honest, but they don't like that, right? Mm-hmm. But but the merits, there are merits to being open and personable and then becoming more popular and likable. And then you can get endorsement deals and be even harder to trade, and maybe more fans in the stands. That's because... more fans because it's entertainment, and and this is none of this is. A, I'm not coming down on the PR staff with the Flames is a phenomenal job. They, they are that Peter and these guys. They never turn down requests that I have. Arguably one of the best in the league. They've won PR the staff. award yeah many years. So, but I I, I was going to say you know <clears throat> again since I'm on here you want the old time stories. We flew commercial with a player, so I sit beside Mike Sullivan who played for the Flames. Now he's a coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I sit beside Hoken Lube on a. He'd be in the middle seat yeah. or something like that. And you just talk and you and you gain, a, um, a re- you build a relationship. Relationships. And then that would lead to stories and that would lead to more, uh, to me, yeah. entertained um, uh, viewers. My goal on this show is to never talk about the power play once in my life. I'm not talking about penalty killing. I don't want to talk about where they rank in terms of goals per game. I want to talk stories. And so uh, that's why this has been a well, phenomenal hour for me. I love this. You're, can you join me for the rest of the year? <laughs> sure. Anyway, we'll talk after. <laughs> anyway, the, I, I just love, the, and especially the old stories. And I know younger listeners may be listening to this going, who cares what you two old guys have to say? But I also know that just looking at the fan feedback line, and I know the feedback I'm going to get from this show, people still love stories, and it's hard to find good storytellers. And you're, you're a great one because you did it for a living, but you're also just a naturally engaging guy. So you like telling stories, right? I, uh, what do you like to do when you're sitting around with old buddies? Yeah. You tell stories. Yeah. You don't talk about the power play. You don't, no. you know, like, yeah. so I, I, I love that. And I, uh, I've had a great time. Yeah. With you. We got a couple more minutes, so I'm not. I've enjoyed this. Yeah. So, uh, 
the last question, and we touched on it just very briefly earlier. Does it make you sad the way the business has gone? And I know we kind of touched on this, but like you look at it and just say, it's not giving me as a consumer what I want, or is it giving you what you want as a consumer? Like, you know, the story. I don't worry about it anymore. You don't think about it. I can go yeah. to the, uh, as I said, I volunteer with Calgary Bantam football on Saturday, see these 15 year olds entertainment. I went to the Dinos, the, the, the university of Calgary, um, men's hockey team is the best in the country. 24 straight games or 23 straight games. I went to watch them play. That it was entertaining. Amazing. It was yes. entertaining. I agree. So there's other things that I, I can get entertainment. Um, if professionals and I and I love the CFL still, I love I do. I'm one. I think I'm the only guy around. No, I am too. But it's, I do. It's, it's, it's hard. It's harder now. So, so do I get discouraged? No, I don't. Good. Is it the same? No, it's not. But I don't let it bother me. Yeah. I'll as I said before here. I'll watch the games if it's not quite the way I want it. Nah, it's just the way it is. Yeah. So no, it's. Uh, I still love watching. Yeah. I I still love watching sports. So that's good. And hey. I still care if the. Am I a fan? You know, <laughs> I I care about people. So if there's somebody on the team like a Jacob Pelche, I I cheer for that you guy. Do care. Yeah, yeah. And and if, if certain coaches, so yeah, I still care. Hey, I'm not supposed to. You know, I'm not a fan anymore. But when you become a journalist, you lose that. It's kind of sad because you lose the fan part of you. Yeah, but you'll get I'm it back for Yeah, but you'll get that. You get that back when you retire. You can sit back. Um, you sit back. You can you, you throw things at ah. Oh, what is oh? You know you just kind of bitch and moan yeah, and yeah. listen. But it's kind of fun again. It's I'll good. tell you one thing. Sports on TV at night is good for older people. <laughs> it is. If there's not a Blue Jays game on or, uh, or something, NF, or it has to be, I'm not really into TV dramas as much as a lot of people. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe my wife gets me on a few, but I, you know, if, I, if there's a Flames game on or semi, yeah. it's important to me. It's important to me. I love it. Hey, listen, I got to tell you, I feel very privileged to have been kind of chronicling the history of this city's sporting scene for almost three decades now. And, uh, and you had that privilege for many, many years too, but also, I feel like this city was privileged to have you as one of the people who did that. So thank you for what you've done for this city over the years. And thanks for joining me today, buddy. Eric, I appreciate those comments. Thank you very much. It was fun. I'd love to do it again. We will do it again. And you know, I was thinking what would be fun if we got a reunion going. I got Lonsbro on here, got Toth on the line. Ronnie Mans, yeah, we could good. relive the Batman and Robin scene. That would be well, chaos. There's, there's some pretty good. We we didn't always get along. There were some fights in our parking lot at, at Global Two and Seven. There was some, you know, Toth was sorry, taking going on too long here, but yeah, we got to go. But it was fun behind the scenes. Save those okay. for the next time. Next You're coming time. back. All right. Uh, thank you, Grant Pollock, for joining us. Really appreciate it. That's so great to get caught up and hear those great stories. The Eric Francis Show. It's brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry cares for their horses. They employ Albertans, and they contribute to the economy. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly. Thank you so much for listening to the Eric Francis Show. We do it every single Monday from noon to 1 o'clock with great stories like the ones that uh, Grant blessed us with today. Thank you, everybody, for listening.